today on the sniff we've got a really special guest we're joined by lucy atkhurst from la maison hedonique hi lucy hi there could we start lucy please by getting you to tell us a little bit about who you are and what your brand is and how this all came to be Right. Well, the the brand came to be in existence because I had been making perfumes for loved ones and for friends. And it it got to the point where they were getting so many comments about the perfumes that they were wearing, including one friend was stopped in the street about three times and she just went, (laughs) you've got to start doing this. So that's when it started, really. Which perfume was it she got stopped wearing or is that has it been released? Is it secret? No, that that one hasn't been released. That was one I made for her as a gift. Oh, wonderful. Um, and that was that's one of the things I love doing, doing sort of olfactory portraits of people. That's really fun when I do my bespoke work. And that's that's great fun. But I'd done one for my husband and another friend had smelt it and she just said, that's what I want every man that I go out with to smell like. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that one is released. That one's called Samadhiya Pari. And so that one's one of the first ones that I made, which was lovely mm. reaction to get. I, I've got that in front of me, actually. I've got them all in front of me now. And um, that one, I think, is possibly my favourite. Is um, it? Yeah, I really liked that. I thought it was really... It had a real vibrance about it and a real kind of bright, clean energy that I, I really thought that would, you, know, you could wear this and you'd feel good wearing it. Yeah, it is very feel good. It's very unusual because I have used musk in it, um, but I've also used a mint, a citrus mint, a bergamot mint, which mm. um, is a very unusual combination. But it means you get that lovely kind of sharp hit at the beginning and then it just kind of I think sort of cuddles you in that real kind of clean cotton warmth yeah yeah no I would agree and I thought it did it's a lovely fragrance I I find all your fragrances to be very big they've all got real characters was that a, a specific decision you took was that you were going to be bold when you were creating yeah absolutely I've never been timid about anything really, in my life. And I didn't see why I should start when I started doing perfumery. Um, There is no point trying to second guess what someone's going to like, because perfume is so visceral. And that's one of the things I love about it. It it is something that you can't intellectualize. You can't say, oh, I know I like rose scents, so I'm going to like this. You won't. A rose is not a rose is not a rose. I think that it's so emotional. It's so visceral. Helen Keller called it the fallen angel of our senses because you can't get your brain involved. So how did you amass enough knowledge to be, you know, just become a perfumer? Did you train? Did you read? You know, how no. did you go about doing that? I read. I read like my husband says I don't read. He says I download. <laughs> um, because if I get fascinated by something, then I will just read whatever I can and I would spend evenings quite happily reading the IFRA regulations for oak moss or the EU regulations for Mm labelling and I I quite happily just sort of sit there and read all of them and so I I taught myself pretty much everything and the, the reason I did it that way and started tinkering around was a I'm impatient and I wanted to start getting to grips with things immediately and 
be that some people would not call me a perfumer. I have to get that absolutely straight. They would call me a perfume designer, even though I actually create the perfumes, I mix them, I do everything. They would call me a perfume designer and not a perfumer because in their mind, a perfumer is someone who has studied with IFF or Givaudin or whomever for seven years, has a chemistry degree, and that's the only way you can be a perfumer. So in some people's mind, I would not be a perfumer. In other people's mind, because I actually take the raw ingredients, I blend them myself, I create everything myself, I do absolutely the lot. If you don't like it, buck stops with me, then some people would call me a perfumer. How do you feel about that kind of divide within the industry? Each to their own. The important thing to me is that somebody likes my sense. And how... I've come to that, you know, how they've come to it. They don't care whether I've been trained for seven years and have a chemistry degree. They only care that it's safe, it's legal, and it smells nice. That's really the only measure of it. And I'm never going to get a chemistry degree now. I'm never going to go and train for seven years because I'm having way too much fun. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that there is a real delight in having disruptors in the industry. I'm very good friends with Nick Stewart from Gallivant, Gallivant Stories. And he's brilliant. And he absolutely is a perfume designer and he uses noses and he, but he's very specific about what he wants. He just doesn't want to actually do the pipette work because the, the, the concept for him is more important. And if he's more in charge of that, then he can really do things that way. Whereas I'm, I have to be hands-on. I have to get my hands dirty. That's interesting. I can see perfumery sucks people in. Even as a, a wearer or a collector, it sucks people mm. in. And you've taken that next level. With that in mind, was there a particular scent that got you into perfumery in the first place? Yes, there was. Um, I was 11 and my mother, who was practically terminally chic, got me uh, Chanel number no. 19 for my 11th birthday. <laughs> wow (laughs) I know I mean what a killer to start with I mean it's an extraordinary one and I smell it now and I it still takes me back to that I mean everybody else in my in my year was wearing white musk and I was wearing Chanel number 19 I was the only one wearing a green sheep (laughs) (laughs) do you always keep a bottle or is it one that has faded out of your collection no that's one that's faded out of my collection because acting's taken me all over the world. Whenever I used to end up anywhere, I remember being in Florence, for example, and seeking out the Farmacia Santa Maria Novelli. And I got their Russian leather. That was the one that I really wanted, and which you get very masculine. And no, nobody was wearing leather scents at the time. And I loved it. Everything else was, I think everything was quite powdery and quite sweet and and airy and, and a bit isimeki and... And I wanted something that was really kind of unapologetic and quite butch because I love that subversion. I still now when somebody says to me, uh, your perfumes, male or female, which one's for which? And I said, they're all for all. You know, I, I don't see any reason why a woman shouldn't wear a whiskey and leather perfume like Surf Blanc or um, a man shouldn't wear a rose like 1793. What's the issue? Completely agree with you on that. And I think it's very 
exclusive to say well these are the scents that women get and these are the scents that men get i think it's daft i mean why silly yeah from from a sheer business point of view why are you cutting off half your clientele it's daft it's absolutely daft i think sometimes as well with the marketing of the perfumes i get really really fed up of a lot of the adverts that you see, you know, the commercials that that have sort of men doing butch things like surfing and driving and all of this sort of thing. And women are, are either sort of tripping around a flowery meadow or there was one, there was an Yves Saint Laurent one once with, with Kate Moss doing unmentionable things in the back of a taxi, um, <laughs> which, you know, we love Kate Moss. She's an icon, but you just think, what? Actually, no, this this is you can't divide the sexes like this. This this is absolutely silly. It's really Mm. silly. You've got to show some kind of life, some kind of humor, for God's sake, in this. I mean, I love there's a Kenzo one at the moment with the girl dancing and she's doing all these mad throwing shapes and winking and all of this. And it's so subversive because it shows a woman being physical and not even though she's a beautiful girl she's doing unbeautiful things and I love it I love Mm. it for that and one thing you touched on there was something that people might not know about you is that you're an actor for your kind of day day job perfumery and acting might seem like quite odd bedfellows how does one discipline work with or against the other um I don't think they're odd bedfellows at all every actress certainly that I know of when she's playing a part she chooses a perfume to go with that character which I I mean I always used to do it Mm. I always used to wear something that would speak on a very basic level about who the person was that I was playing so whether that was filming or on stage you absolutely choose something it's the same as costume that it says something it Mm. might say something only to you or to the people immediately next to you, because, you know, if they are breathing it in, they are smelling you. But it will inform and it will inform your character and how they react to your character. So it's the same as a character wearing a blue scarf, for example. So they are so involved in emotions sense and I could give you all the science about why I told you I read a lot Nick uh, <laughs> you know I th- th- there's been uh, a few studies that have been g- done sort of there was one in 2004 at Brown University I think and a couple of others done with behavioral studies and, and actually why scent triggers emotional memory way more than it does semantic memory and so I think scent and emotion and and because acting is so involved with emotion and it's not intellectual that I think they work together beautifully yeah have you ever picked a perfume that you disliked yourself but which fitted with a character I picked a perfume which was because with my personal taste I don't like very 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 heavy ylang-ylang tropical florals and then Mm. I think for one I'm trying to remember what it was but it was for a character I was playing and it was on stage and it was very 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 sweet and she was very she was a faded southern belle and um and it was Apon from Francis Kerjikan. 
And that was the one that I chose. And it's not really me at all, but it suited her down to the ground. I love the idea of it being part of the costume, it being part of the putting that character on. But we all do that. You know, we we all do that. Those those of us who Mm. have a wardrobe of sense, and everybody should, because otherwise your nose gets fatigued. We all do that. We don't put on the same perfume to go on a date as we would, say, if we knew we're going to have a business meeting. Because we want Mm. to project something about us. It's still us, but we want to project something about us when we meet the people that we are meeting. I think Luca Turing calls it portable intelligence. You cannot help but smell someone when you meet them. As long as you're breathing and you're not anosmic, you know, you cannot help but smell somebody and they can't help but smell you. But they they don't have to look at you and they don't have to to listen to you. They certainly don't have to taste you and they don't have to touch you, but they cannot help but smell you as long as they're breathing. And so what you're wearing will give them some kind of clue as to who you are. And you know that subliminally when you put on perfume, when you put on scent. And so you are making that decision every day. And isn't that... Uh, wonderfully, like you say, visceral. It's kind of an animalic intelligence. Well, actually, because I can tell you why it's completely visceral. It's the only sense that, because incoming smells, they're, they're processed by the olfactory bulb, which starts inside the nose and it runs along the bottom of the brain. And it's got direct connections to two brain areas that are strongly implicated in emotion and memory. So you've got the amygdala, which means almond, I think, and the hippocampus. But no other sense passes through these brain areas. So all this stuff to do with emotion only comes through from the olfactory bulb. It doesn't come through any other sense, which I, when I found that out, blew my mind, frankly. It really is a, a completely fascinating area of science, which, you know, we could quite frankly yeah, talk about I, all day. I really could. I, um, I am that, that geek. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love all of this because it, it, it makes sense of what I do, even though what I do mm. is very organic and it's very emotional. It's we always we, there is always a reason for your emotions. There is always a reason for your feelings. And to me, the science makes it more wonderful, not less. What is your creative process? What sparks the inspiration for a new It sense? can be anything, really. I had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago, and she was bemoaning the fact that Miss Dior doesn't smell like Miss Dior used to. And I was explaining to her that it's probably because oak moss and, you know, the, the regulations that you can only have so much oak moss and then that people are constantly having to reformulate. And she just went, but it doesn't make me feel the same. I thought about it and I just thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try and create something for you that makes you feel the same then. It won't smell the same, but it, I, I'm hoping it's going to make you feel the same. So that inspired me to do something recently. I get inspired by books. I get inspired by art. I get inspired by music. I was inspired. Two of the, the sense that I gave you when we met in Milan um, Lorato and 1793, they were created in collaboration with my landlady on the Highclere estate, uh, Lady Carnarvon. Um, I have a workshop on the Highclere estate, which is where they filmed Downton Abbey. And she's, she's so passionate about flowers and roses on one hand and is incredibly English and, and, and wonderfully English that I, I created 1793 for that really English part of her. And then I've created Lorato for that part of her that likes to be completely barefoot on a beach. 
And so I get very inspired by people I meet. Common Lu, which is one of the first ones that I released, that was inspired by the Victorian Gothic novel Carmilla by Sheridan Lefney. Mm. Um, and that's about a, a female vampire. Yeah. So, yeah, I get inspired by everything. Conversations, it can be a snatch of music, it can be the way the light hits the water at the sea or whatever, or a bowl of fruit. I've got one which I'm working on at the mm. moment, which I'm about to start filming in Sweden. And I I was inspired by uh, my last trip to Stockholm, actually. And I was sat in a cafe, sort of writing in my little notebook, as I do. And the smell of the cafe was just so amazing. And it was a winter's day and it was 11.15 in the morning. And I was having a really amazing coffee and the smell of the cardamom buns that were around and cinnamon and all of this. And I thought, I want, I want to create that. And so that's inspired me as well. Well, I, for one, am very looking forward to that because I am hugely passionate about Scandinavia oh, marvelous. and cardamom in fragrances. So <laughs> I shall look forward to that with both. But it's breath. a real one. I've managed to actually even get pastry in there. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Without, Without the, the calories. calories. Yeah. It is like sitting down and having a slice of pecan pie and uh, a cinnamon bun and mm. a cup of coffee. <laughs> oh, sounds wonderful. <laughs> so which of your fragrances is your favorite accomplishment there are two god i don't know i mean the first one the the one that you love the one i created for my husband uh samadhi apari because it was one of the first ones i did and because it was an expression of love for him that has got to be up there as a favorite but every time i start something new i think oh oh i really like I've, i've got to love them i've got to love these fragrances yeah otherwise there's there's no point one that I really love that is really divisive with people, people either love it or they hate it, is Apero. Huh. I was just thinking of that one. <laughs> I'm just Yeah, and it, it, it is one of those ones that just completely divides people because I have used actually a seaweed algae extract in it, a real one, which is what gives it its absolutely insane colour. And it does actually smell like you're next to the sea. And, and people will either go, oh, God, that's too much, or I want more. And there's mm. nothing in between with that one. But I am I have a very fond place in my mm. heart for it because it's so divisive, very unconventional. Yeah, absolutely, really unconventional and quite almost like medicinally herbal. Yeah, that sort of... I used um, Greek herbs in it because I, ha- I had this idea of sitting, you know, in the golden age of the Côte d'Azur and you're sitting by the sea and it's not the Côte d'Azur as it is now. It's like sort of 1950s Côte d'Azur with Alain Delon and Romy Schneider and Cary Grant and, and people like that, you know, and, that, and it's all glamorous and beautiful. And there's, there's kind of hot tarmac and you're just over the border from Italy and you've got all these wonderful, amazing smells. And the Garrigue herbs sort of travel into, because I wanted it to be like sipping an olfactory Negroni. So you have mm. the Garrigue herbs, which blend into the herbs that you would have in a Martini Rosso, the bitterness that you would have in that. As somebody mm. described it as, as really kind of salty sweet. I find your fragrances to be... All of them, actually, even the even the easier ones, even the ones that are less visceral mm. in a way, I find them to be very 
sensual is almost yeah. the word, like animalic. Yes. There's something about them that is quite intense and quite impassioned almost. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's nothing polite about them. Exactly. I, that, d- yes. I don't yeah. do polite with those <laughs> ones. I because scents are sensual. That's what they mm. are. That that it's your sense of smell. And I think you should revel in it. 1793 is it's a rose. Yes, it's a rose, but it's got that lovely kind of bitter dark green heart that kind of snaps you away from being too cloying and then develops into this musk, which again, just kind of swaddles you and wraps you around and just makes you feel really warm and comfortable in your skin. I think Mm. Lorato, I think is probably the most diaphanous, the sheerest of the ones I've got. And I just wanted that lovely Again, that sensual thing of being barefoot and sunlight on water and bitter green figs and all of, you know, sort of all the lovely, yummy things. I mean, again, it's all incredibly sensual. There's almost a pebbliness to um, yes. Lorato, I found yeah. as well, like that sort of warm yes. stoniness. I really like that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one to get. But I love it, again, because it's, it grounds things. It stops it being too sort of airy. And I think mm. you need the whole picture. It's like a, a good frame will make a good picture. So when you're creating a fragrance, how do you know when a scent is finished? It tells you. I usually get things right on about sort of the, the fourth or fifth iteration because I'll think things through first. I'll make the first draft. It's like writing. And you know when you write that there are some points where you just go, it's really not working. It's really not working. Chuck it out, start again. Or that could work if I just rework that paragraph. And it's the same thing. And once you have that beautiful sense of the whole, once nothing's fighting as well, you know that you've got that really nice blend of things and they're all dancing together like a really good house party. You know, your guests who are brilliant at breakfast and then you've got your guests who are brilliant at midnight. And so long as you've got that real blend going right the way through the day, it's going to be a great weekend. That's mm. how I think of the, the fragrances. Once everything is all working together and you've got that lovely kind of swim through the notes, because I, I love the fact that with a lot of my fragrances, it's not just like going in a lift up and down from the top notes to the bottom notes. Top notes will reemerge hours later yeah. and really surprise you. And I love that. And you say third fourth fifth iteration but how long does that take or you know the whole process from start to finish is it months is it weeks is it years you need at least four weeks for everything to macerate with the alcohol in glass at least four weeks for it to do that and to actually sort of settle down and tell you what it wants to be you can have an idea but then sometimes things that can be really screechy when you've first done them after about four weeks they'll settle down and they've, they've sort of worked out where they are and and how they blend with everything else so you you do need at least those four weeks Mm. I also have a few tricks up my sleeve to make the maceration go a bit further I also I stability test so I split my batches and so right from the first iteration I am heat treating some of them and taking readings right the way through up until 12 weeks later What's the fastest you've created a perfume in then through that whole conception of idea through to finished product? Well, one that worked first time round was Somebody of Paris. The other one that worked first time round on first draft was Insei. That worked Mm. absolutely first time. And Insei is one of my most popular. It's very soft. It's very wearable. It's lovely. But again, 
absolutely pansexual fragrance. Even though it's got a lot of white flowers in it, there's enough musk and there's enough cocoa and sandalwood that is just lovely for, for men to wear as well. So those two worked first time round, but I didn't know they'd worked first time round until four weeks later, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And how has your whole line been received? And what could you talk about some of the highs and lows that you've experienced in starting? A low point was when I had all my stock in a warehouse and it went into administration. Oh, yeah. Wow. Fortunately, the manager of the warehouse, as the receivers were coming in the door, he literally threw all my stock onto a lorry and sent it somewhere. Uh, mm. So I was able to get it. But that was terrifying, frankly, because if he hadn't done that, my stock, this was just after we launched. And if he hadn't done that, my stock would have been stuck in a warehouse for four months and I wouldn't have been able to get hold Gosh. of it. So I am forever grateful mm. to him. Another low point was having to rename two of my perfumes after we'd launched because one of them had a number five in the title and I'd received right. some interesting um, advice. And of course, Chanel came after me and said, change it. So I had to change it. And there was another one which I had called Leather Whiskey because it was the perfect description of what was inside the bottle. And there was a French company that makes, I think, an eight euro perfume, which is called Whiskey with an E. Mine was without an E. And they served us with a cease and desist. And that meant it was just easier at that point just to get things reprinted and change bottles. So yeah. that's what I did. So that one changed to Surf Blanc. Talking of Surf Blanc, that's been a highlight for me when I found out that Kate Moss has a bottle. Yeah. Wow. That was really exciting. That was, yeah. We found that out. Cause I don't have a PR company. And I found that out that it was in a Harper's article, which is perfumes that the A-listers wear, even though they're not paid to. To have mm. Kate Moss, you know, sort of on record as wearing that was just amazing. That was amazing. And it, it itself is such a it's really woody and yeah. smoky. And I get a, quite a lot of the peat yeah. from it, actually. The sort of yes. the peaty whiskey. It settles um, down to really nice um, on the skin. It settles down to a lovely kind of sweet, soft, buttery leather, which mm. is which is really lovely. Again, that's that's one that's a, a really big seller for me. It has that bold Le Maison Hedonique DNA that is very characterful, very yeah. full-bodied and... Was it? Dramatic. I was talking to to somebody last night, and they said there's there's a, a phrase that's like it's got real beast or something. Someone's talking about yes, beast, beast mode. mode. It's got beast <laughs> mode. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah those fragrances that fill a whole ah, room. Okay, but it's quite often used by the male fragrance yeah. reviewers and YouTubers for the fragrances that are like this is my pull-in fragrance. It's got beast mode. It goes all Blimey. day type yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think Surf Blanc slightly more refined than that. It's got more Lord Byron than Wham yeah. Bam, it, it's not Joey it. Essex. It, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I, hopefully it is. I mean, I thought that it was, it was kind of if Keith Richards had a Scottish baronial mansion. Yeah, you know, that was that was my yeah. kind of thing for it, really. <laughs> is there? one thing that you wished people knew about operating a perfume brand being a perfume designer the one common misconception that you'd like to set straight um that you can ship your perfume anywhere in the world because you can't certainly yeah. I, I find it very very frustrating when I get 
customers saying, I'm in X country, South America, for example, I want to buy your perfumes. And I have to say to them, well, I don't have a distributor there and I can't send it to you because it's classed as a dangerous good. And I have people who say to me, I'm in the UK, why can't you send me all eight samples in one package? Because the Royal Mail won't let me. Postage for perfumes is incredibly expensive and kills me every single time. I make no money when I ship a perfume. In fact, I, I always lose money. Discovery sets I send free because I don't think anyone should pay any more for postage if they don't know if they're going to like something. So I, you know, I, I like to ship those out free, but I can only send four bottles. I can only send four bottles, whether they're one mil or whether they're 150 mil. There can only be four bottles in a package. And people get really upset with me because I can't either ship more or I can't if I'm shipping something out to Europe and they go, but we post things all the time. Why can't you just post it? Why is it costing £27 to ship something to me? And I say, because if I try and send it via Royal Mail and it gets scanned and they trace it back to me, I can be be fined £30,000. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny, I spoke to Amanda Beadle from Badura oh, Perfumes lovely. and she said something very yeah. similar. This this is what is very difficult for the industry and it's it's something we need to tackle really is how can we get around this in a, in a legal Absolutely. way? I have a very good relationship with DHL who are my couriers and they they have been incredibly helpful and they've really tried to work with me. There are an awful lot of couriers, like, you know, um, Amanda I know has the same problem is that when you're starting out like we are and we are very small scale and we don't have those huge logistical throughputs you know we're not sending thousands and thousands and thousands of bottles a month to places a lot of companies don't want to touch you unless you can guarantee that you're selling more than 1000 units per month and when you're starting out how can you you have no idea then they just say well i'm sorry you can't have a business account and you say well how do i ship perfumes then they say well you can't whereas dhl have been very very good and they said listen you're never going to get to that unless someone helps you now what a good shout out for them that they've yeah. taken that initiative and taken a bit of a chance. And I said, mean, we had I, I had a few teething issues with them, I but I mean, that's all sorted out and they've been absolutely brilliant ever since. Mm. Wonderful. I'm really glad to hear that. And so to finish, if you could sum your brand up in three words, I can do what it would it be? Pursue <laughs> pleasure. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Lucy, for joining us. That was Lucy Atkirst from La Maison. Pleasure. Hedinic. a strong olfactive memory you have that weird ink antiseptic smell of getting my first tattoo that sort of half sterile but also like guys in heavy metal t-shirts smell when i was in my last year of primary school in the summer um they retarred the roof and i have this really strong sense memory of um hot um tarmac I think this one's really difficult because I don't think I remember things by smells very much. Um, But I do remember the smell of my house in France because I found the entire year quite traumatising. And it was quite a musty, um, stuffy smell. And I kind of associate that with that house and that year. Um, I would say the smell of my grandma and granddad's 
um, they had this shed that was attached to the back of the house with loads, it was like full of old wooden furniture um, and it was like a work shed and it had a really distinctive smell of kind of like old wood and and kind of like tools and a bit musty but I can like literally could be there now. Fire, so a wood fire outside in the night mixed with wild garlic so this is like when I was younger when I was in my 20s I used to have a lot of fires with my friends in the woods in a place where there was tons of wild garlic growing so the mixture of those two things together is pretty pungent memory for me I can't remember a lot of the rest of it but I can remember the smell (laughs) the smell of like spring like riding through the countryside and the smell of the crops. I guess, um, like, growing up next to a dairy farm, so, and growing up in Shetland, it's probably manure, or sort of, you know, that sort of cow country smell, but also particularly on very, very cold mornings. Yes, my father's house, walking to my father's house, every time I smell uh, roasted lamb with rosemary in it, makes me think of being at dad's and having Sunday dinners. The Sniff is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram, at the Sniff website, and Twitter with the same handle. Our very special guest today was Lucy Ackhurst from La Maison Hedonique. Please do visit their website at lamaisonhedonique.com. And as is true for all our episodes, we weren't paid or sponsored by anyone, either in cash or in kind, to produce this podcast or mention any particular brands within it. Thanks very much for listening.